the Stock Talk Podcast, where topics are covered and questions are answered across all parts of the show stock industry. Get ready to learn and laugh with your hosts, Trevor Kirkpatrick and Corey Edge. What's up, guys? Welcome back. Uh, for those of you wanting more sheep content, you're about to hear it. Uh, this is a very uh, good episode for me because I learned a lot from a lady that I've learned a lot from already, my past ag teacher and a very good mind within the show lamb industry, but yet better yet, educating the youth through the FFA programs. I won't spill the beans totally because that is uh, Corey's job uh, to do that after a bit. However, we have a couple announcements to make. A couple of friends that we love to work with, Corey. Most certainly. And you should work with them too, whether it's promotional videos or with getting your stuff sold. But on the promotional video avenue, did you guys know that Walton Webcasting can shoot and edit and create promotional videos for your herd sires, for your operation in general? And you have that opportunity to then take that video, blast it all over social media, get it in front of people, get them excited about your business. So who might I be talking about, Trevor? Walton Webcasting. Boom. Walton Webcasting. Title sponsor for the show. So thankful to work with those folks. Go check them out. WaltonWebcasting.com. StockCenter.tv. There's a lot of stuff going on. Uh, lots of shows coming up here this fall that they're going to be at and participating in. So if you can't make a trip anywhere in the country to go watch these shows, might I suggest you just hop on waltonwebcasting.com, get yourself a little subscription, and watch the shows, uh, jump in on the archives, and watch your what they like to call game film. Yes. Look back at those shows that you participated in, maybe learn why you got beat, maybe see where you can improve on. So, Walton Webcasting, love them. One of my favorite segments that they have. Never gets old. Never gets old, and neither does he. Good stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, not only do they capture uh, the best, but there's also somebody that puts good stock in the ring and helps you do that called Show Cattle Connection. These people are the absolute best at putting a platform out there that is easy to use. Show Cattle Connection is loaded with an experienced team of industry leaders that will help you sell your cattle and get them in the right hands. Their easy-to-use website allows customers to navigate your sale very quickly and efficiently. Book a sale with Show Cattle Connection and experience the positive results. Not only if you're wanting to sell these cattle, go, in, go on that deal and buy them. Just a couple of, I can't name them all because there's so many, uh, today and the next couple of days, like Triple M Cattle Company, Edelman Ranch has got one. The Virginia Club Calf Producers got one in a couple days. Um, I could go on down through. The Weiss has got one there this weekend. So, man, big big time names. And I know we already had some these past couple of weeks, but you've got to get on Show Cattle Connection and get your calves bought. And if you're on the other end of things and wanting to get them sold, use Show Cattle Connection. There's really no other way to do it like they do it beautiful trevor you know what else is beautiful what is that the amount of knowledge that someone could gain from listening to this episode oh my gosh i'm telling you and i had this individual as an ag teacher just uh 
just to throw that out there. But um, yeah, you're exactly right, my homie. Yep. So, ladies and gentlemen, on today's show, we have an industry leader that you may not even know of. Why? Because she is working in the trenches in Ohio FFA in raising her club lambs and hopefully shaping and molding the minds of young people like Trevor once was, even though he gained zero sheep knowledge from her. (laughs) However, this woman tells us a story of hauling and doing her first lamb camp up in the hayloft of her show barn. Ladies and gentlemen, great industry knowledge right here coming from the one, the only Tracy Dettinger. Well, Corey, we are on the road once again. We are here in Columbus, Ohio at the Ohio FFA Center. How about that? We are here with Tracy Denninger. Uh, she kind of has a huge role of the Ohio FFA. So uh, she's here to enlighten us to some of the questions we have. Also runs uh, a flock of ewes. I've had a really good weather. We won Fayette County with. We'll touch on later. So that was really fun. So, uh, Corey, we're on location again, man. How about it? Well, it's exciting because this time you're on the road and not me. So you have to deal with the potential of people walking by and interrupting. So, yeah, yeah, no, we, we actually, we got into the, a big conference room. This place is beautiful, by the way. I've never been here before, but anyways, uh, we sat down. She's like, Oh crap. You know what? I think the cleaning ladies are coming soon. <laughs> so we, yeah, we just jumped into a smaller room and it, I think it sounds pretty good. So, Hey, Tracy, thanks for uh, taking time out of your evening. Uh, I don't want to take too much of it, but uh, we are happy that you want to shed some light on a few topics. But before we get started, uh, just tell everybody who you are, what you do, and obviously where you're from. Okay. My name is Tracy Dinger. I grew up in the northern part of the state in uh, Seneca County from Bellevue, Ohio. Went to Bellevue High School, um, was in the agricultural education program. I was a state FSA, uh, state FFA officer my senior year, so that got me into a lot of the forefront of maybe what was going on in FFA. But um, when I left high school, I knew that I didn't want to teach agriculture because <laughs> I was like, "Yeah, I can't, I can't go through what we yeah, put him yeah. through." So I think I'm out. Um, so I thought, well, uh, vet school was definitely on my target. Got to college, got into chemistry, and said that's not going to work either. Yeah. <laughs> so oh, I feel you. <laughs> um, so I think. Uh, my sophomore year, I got involved at um, the Ohio State University Sheep Center, and I had the opportunity to work under Ron Gunther, um, which I kind of knew was a legendary guy, but I really didn't know how much of a legendary guy <laughs> he was. Um, and I started there, and I think my first weekend on the job, all, everybody in the barn went to Louisville. I'm like, oh, <laughs> I hope I don't screw this up. Um, but... Uh, through working at the at the sheep barn, um, I was the first female to live and work there. Oh wow! And so that was kind of cool, and um, just a lot of neat responsibilities and opportunities that came from that. Traveling with uh, Ron, and at the time, Ron was doing a lot of consulting work in yeah. the Dorset business um, for uh, Cardinal Creek and uh, some older gentlemen, and then also doing work with uh, some Columbia's Timber Creek Columbia's. And so those things all provided opportunities for me to go and fit and 
yeah, and kind of house it for those individuals right. when they were gone. Or, While the boys are out playing, you're what, sitting there bust your butt. Right, yeah, <laughs> and there's been some bust your butt stories. Um, but those things were just really great opportunities for me to get exposure to a lot of diverse breeds of sheep. And yeah. through that is how I met Judy Moore, and she's been a huge mentor to me on the judging side of things. Uh-huh. Um, and I was on the livestock team at Ohio State. I was on the meats team at Ohio State, which really generated for my 4-H. I was on the national champion 4-H team in 1988. I got to go to Ireland and Scotland. Yeah. Um, and the cool thing was I finished my career before I moved to this side of the table on the consulting. Yeah. <laughs> um, finishing up with a team, an FFA team that I coached that was third in the nation that got to go to Ireland and Scotland. So it's That's kind really of cool. weird yeah. how some of that stuff came full circle, but... Yeah. So for those of you listening to kind of set the the full circle story, uh, the lady across from me was my ag teacher at Miami Trace High School for my entire career. Uh, not only were we a teacher student, but also coach and showman. Uh, she taught me everything I need to know about uh, evaluating and showing sheep. And obviously she's the one that kind of kicked me in the butt and said, hey, you need to post-secondary this judging deal. And uh, so this is a very uh, fun and interesting a moment because it was high school. I would have never thought you uh, pounding lessons into my head, but I'd be interviewing you on a podcast. So uh, no, this is, this is really cool. So ladies and gentlemen, uh, Tracy is the reason or part of the reason that you're listening to this podcast, because if she would not have pushed Trevor to That's right. make something of his life also, <laughs> we would have never met. And then this would never right. have existed. That's we'll, very true. We'll, we'll talk about full circle. So, Tracy, I got to know, how was Trevor as a student? Trevor as a student was one of those kids that just kind of came in, did his work, and kind of was pretty much mindful about just being active and involved. But when we got into conversations, he was very diligent about sharing his opinion. So, <laughs> See, and, that's true. And, uh, <laughs> I live in where I where I am at at Miami Trace High School in Fayette County. That used to be, and Trevor probably could confirm this, pig capital of the world. Yes. It was nothing for me on a Wednesday night or a Wednesday morning at school. You know, the kids are coming in dragging. I'm like, where have you been? They're like, we was loading out hogs till 2 a.m. Where? Yeah. At the county fair. Yeah. Next morning, Thursday, what were you doing? Loading out pigs? There was another pig sale. Everybody. Yeah. In in the state of Ohio, used to come to Fayette County for club pig sales. Yeah, no, I I, I always look back, and I could I should have could have would have, but uh, been more involved in FFA with the the state deal. But uh, I always had to have somebody kick me in the butt, so might as well be. <laughs> See, so I, I've seen pictures. That, that was very that's very true. I was I had the the football Friday night on the brain for a while, and then I I realized I'm not getting over six foot anytime soon. <laughs> so. See, I saw pictures of Trevor in high school and that really prompted that question because most of the pictures I've seen is long front bangs, backwards hat, monster hat with <laughs> white sunglasses on. Yeah. So I had uh, another uh, word, douchebag. It's <laughs> <laughs> pretty much how they all yeah. start. <laughs> and then they finally grow up. Yeah. Yeah. And go, uh, oh, that's not a good look. Yeah. Well, I guess there's uh, nothing wrong with that. Yeah, everybody has to go through their weird stages. I'm still probably working through mine. So I'll never forget. uh, This is just kind of going on a tangent here, but I sat down in the classroom. It was like one of our last weeks of high school 
And one of my good friends, she looked over at me. She says, when are you going to lose the bangs? I'm like, <laughs> oh, I guess it's a problem. <laughs> so, yeah. At next, least it wasn't, what, when are you going to lose the mullet? Yeah, yeah, that's that's true. Hey, Nowadays, Tracy, mullet, you mullets guy? are the thing. I, I am. Before he was a mullet guy. <laughs> I was not a mullet guy, actually, because if I grew my hair out, it mostly went straight out and never anywhere else. So I would have been more so along the lines of a, uh, an ugly Afro guy. So I tried to stay away from mullets. I do appreciate uh, a quality mullet, but I just, I can't grow one for myself. Yeah. It's unfortunate, no but problem. it's the world I live in. Uh, so, so Tracy, uh, Tracy. Yeah, go ahead, Corey. Well, I got to know, um, you know, we talked about before we actually hit the record button here um, about some of your, your flock and, and history and, and some of these breeds and stuff you've worked with in the past. So Tell us about kind of what you got going on at the home place and maybe some of the recent or greatest successes you've had along the way and some breeders, influential people you've worked with. Sure. So, you know, I, I really never thought I would be in the sheep business like I'm in the sheep business, and I'm just a hobbyist. It keeps me off the street and out of trouble. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I, I keep enough ewes. I only run about 35 to 40 ewes. And um, in partnership with, uh, uh, Dan and, um, you know, I, I started in, in high school with them and it wasn't my choice. I wanted to show cattle and my dad said, sheep are what we have. Sheep is what you'll show. Mm. And so I'm like, well, oh, oh, okay. And, uh, I can remember going and getting that first, first market lamb from a man named Nelson Keggy and the Keggy family was prominent in the sheep business there for a while locally where I grew up. And, and, um, you know, habits die hard. Mm -hmm. I still have these things. <laughs> um, I had them when I was in college. Um, my parents divorced, uh, right before I went to college. And so I basically kind of moved my use to a, a, a family that now is very prominent in the draft horse business in Michigan. And I'd spend weekends up there lambing out use and playing speed with those <laughs> girls while we were night checking. And um, I kept them all the way through, brought, bought my brother's half out when he graduated high school and kept the ewes all the way through. So I very rarely buy females. So this this group of ewes that I have, have have been around a long time and have kind of an internal flock regenerated huh. themselves through what I started with. So my brother and I thought we were going to show some uh, frame sheep. So we went to Tom Slack's place. Thought that was the coolest thing to walk in there and see a big screen TV in the middle of his barn yeah. in, in the early eighties, right? You're yeah. like, wow. Was that was that the start of his his uh hay moving setup? It might have been because all those pens collapsed. Oh my gosh, it's it's incredible. Yeah, like I, I, we had never seen anything like that. You know, we're like, Dad. And <laughs> yeah, and he's like, Don't get any ideas, but um, all those pens literally pulled away from the wall into big group pens. And then he had lambing pens on the sides of those. But there was, I mean, I mean, big screen TV in this <laughs> barn that he had going all the time. We just thought that was the coolest thing ever. But we bought uh, two ewes and a buck uh, and started in the Suffix. And we showed some purebred Suffix for a while. And then we kind of rolled over to the clubs. Huh. And that's what I still run today. And Basically a Hampshire-based flock um, with some old Barbara Garvey genetics and then uh, 
I grew up in the county where Bud Martin was and recently started with some Dorsets. Uh, Bud runs about 400 head, has always been prominent in the cheap business. Um, and his son and I, Matt, have always shown against each other mm-hmm. uh, in Huron County. So I've known that family for a long time. And I was looking for some Dorsets that had some maternal mothering ability um, and some survivability. And he runs those 400 ewes a lot on grass um, without a whole lot of human influence. And so I knew if I found them and they were fleshy and they were good, that they were probably going to be good females down the road. So, mm-hmm. how is so do you, I, how's docility on those things? The what? <laughs> how's the docility on those things since they, uh, you know, little uh, not very <laughs> They're the craziest rips in the planet. And I've had one you that's tried to commit suicide twice this summer. So um, <laughs> she went over the fence, got hung up in, in a hog panel, both, both holes. Like she was two holes in, not just one. Oh, wow. Um, That's impressive. Didn't break them, got them out uh, and had her. She went to an AI date in the spring. So that was a little bit of a struggle. And then Sharon, she decided that she was going to go ahead and just commit suicide on the trimming stand. And we're talking about a low catch them to the ground. Oh, yeah. One, and she basically swung and pretty much flipped the trimming stand. And like, it's almost impossible to flip them things, but she did it. So I was oh, like, nice. yeah, they're, yeah. No people influence, not good, but uh, when they lamb, they calm down a little bit, but those two hadn't lambed yet, so they're due here in October, so I'm hoping the edge comes off a little bit, but they're nuts. So what are some of the, uh, you said you, when you were working there at the farms, what are some of the buck names that you remember for some of those listening that may catch on too? Um, Some of those bucks, uh, you know, Ron Gunther, I mean, people who are, would would be in the older generation would know him and his history in the sheep business. And that was when he was kind of starting getting a Riverwood up and running. Yep. Uh, and he was working with Cardinal Creek at that time. And there was a buck called legacy. Yes. And uh, you showed me a picture before we got started. And I said, that thing would be a good bull. <laughs> he's just the coolest white sheep, um, you know, Dorset really. And, uh, I know our younger generations want to call them white, but they're really Dorsets, but maybe they are just white now because they are a little bit crossed, but, um, just the breed character on him was impeccable and his build from the ground up just was remarkably good. And I think he would be a sheep that today still could really make an impact in that breed because that breed has kind of lost a little bit of its direction. And I think he would be something that would really kind of regenerate just a good, solid foundational uh, type of an animal that um, is just good on all angles and pieces. Yeah. And then another one would be um, a Cheviot buck. You know, I never really thought I'd get crazy on Cheviots and some people like you show (laughs) Cheviots. I did. (laughs) You learn to be diverse in your skill set when you show shivyas. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, a Judy Moore buck called PCB. Um, and again, there's one that's just got tons of breed character that you really appreciate um, with his ears going straight up and down and super good on his hair coat and his color and just stout footed and boned and rugged and massive in his body and really balanced from flank to flank. And for that time period, that sheep was way ahead of his time uh, and being big, mm-hmm. but also being bold. Yeah. So there's huh. a lot of sheep that can get big, but I don't know if they bring the bold yeah, with them. Yeah, right. Yeah. They grow <laughs> up and not out. <laughs> <Right>. yeah. <laughs> Tracy, something unique is like 
and I and I often talked with with Brett Elke about this is that there's not just a whole lot of crossover. Usually, when we think about clubland breeders today and frame sheep breeders today, you know, there's just not much crossover anymore that you see between those. It's like two totally different worlds, which it is to an extent, but at the same time, we're still in the, in the sheep business. And I think your perspective of being involved on both sides is unique probably for some of those that could care less about framers. Um, but what I've kind of come to appreciate is like good livestock or good livestock, no matter what. And the really good frame sheep are really fun to look at. I'll agree with that. And I, I was actually thinking about that today a little bit. And I was telling Trevor that, you know, I, I really am very fortunate to have the opportunities that I had coming through um, college because I guess I started as a little bit of a frame person with my brother and I'm middling in it a little bit, but at the same time, you know, Larry Schroyer would call me and it was nothing for me to go up to, to, to Larry's and, and fit 150 head for their market lamb sale <laughs> of putting the old butt wool actually yeah. on those <laughs> yeah. sheep. Um, you know, so like I, I have a very diverse set of skills that kind of generated from those kind of opportunities and, you know, um, just being exposed to those guys that were very uh, engaged in the industry to talk about breed character and what that meant and where that came from, from generations before. And um, so, yeah, I, I am pretty diverse about that, but mm -hmm. I really do have a strong appreciation for that. And, you know, some people look at me and go, short ears, outward, black nose, what are you talking about? Um, they don't even have an appreciation for what those things mean in terms of character. And in, in the state of Ohio, we show these weathers by breed. And right. there's a lot of people that are like, these things are black face or white face right. to me and everything else I don't know. And so it's, <laughs> yeah. it's extremely confusing to them because they're like, uh, I had somebody show me a picture of a sheet the other day that thought it would be a good Suffolk. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I was leaning more towards shrop <laughs> on a clear identification of. Wow. So it's just interesting that just through the generations of moving away from family farms and operations that our younger generations aren't exposed to that right. kind of conversations. Yeah, right? and they see, I mean, the crosses do are successful. And I guess if you if you got the purebred, you're going to have some some commercial crosses anyway everything's but. everything generated from a cross of breeds originally yeah, right. anyway yeah so exactly um you know but it's still interesting to talk about those the char characteristics and the points yeah. about those things that yes. make those things well <laughs> okay this is not on our our list and i just thought of this stuff but like along that same avenue what's interesting now is all these jackpots and circuit series and stuff like that where there's not really anybody there to to say like, hey, listen, that thing's not a shrop or that thing's not a Suffolk or, you know, maybe you should just show that one in the crossbreds or the hamps because that's where it belongs. But I would, you know, I would venture to guess. And, and even the naturals now in some of these shows are getting a little, a little light skinned for me. So, you know, what's your take on, on, that sort of situation or do you guys see it over there in Ohio as much as we do in Illinois, Indiana? Well, Iowa? I think those states across there, Illinois, Indiana, um, and Ohio are probably some of the, the states that are the richest in diversity of breeds. And there's a lot of breeders in your state 
that are raising that diverse, uh, you know, uh, quantity of those breeds. And so I know this year has been, a we've been on the OSIA lead board trying to make attempts to simplify um, the process of identifying breeds and their character and, and what would put them in that breed at a show. And um, the All-American Junior Show, which is one of the biggest uh, junior show events um, annually, that's a breeding sheep show that shows over 3,000 head. Um, and they have like, they show market lambs as well, but again, it's like very secondary because the breeding sheep is the, is the, is the highlight of the event, but it's a three strike rule and that has tried to simplify it so that you can kind of land in the categories of Oxford, um, Shropshire, Suffolk, Hampshire, those types of things. And, um, I know we cooperated with, um, some guys that classify here in Ohio regularly at our state fair to come in and put some sheep together and try to educate people. And it was basically almost a flop. It was me and one other person Whoa. with the committee. And Whoops. I was like, well, I kind of know this stuff, but <laughs> I'm always willing to learn and, and, you know, listen to the older guys right. still talk about, you know, ear length direction. Carriage. So that would be your three strikes. Like if you don't, match the ear length that's a strike well it's, yeah like droopy ears yeah. on a shop that's supposed to be shorter right. or open or or wool wool coverage you know color whatever pole, channel wool okay. those types of things so you know there's there's some, been some system in place but that doesn't always get it and right. as Corey, you may know these sheep change oh yeah they'll start, they'll start shedding head wool they'll start you know shedding leg wool um and so there's no guarantees. And so I think that's one of the most frustrating things to a lot of the exhibitors in our business is that they, the first weekend out, there might just be tons of wool, right? Mm-hmm. Everywhere. And if it was a hot summer and they didn't really do a good job managing that, they'll lose leg wool, they'll lose head wool, you know, it'll shed or whatever. And just because I call him a shrop doesn't mean that Trevor would call him a shrop or Corey would call a shrop. So you get three evaluators that have chips. Yeah. And, you know, you get two black ones, you're out, you go to the crossbreds. And I think one of the cool things we've done in Ohio this year is when we kick the white face out now of like a Dorset or a Southdown or a Monadale, whatever it is, we've now sent them to the white face cross instead of sending them uh, to the black face cross, which they don't, they don't stand a chance. That is, yeah, that, that is nice. <laughs> They're at least going to. You know, well, I think, Corey, we just need to DNA test them all. And if they're under 90 percent, then they're out. Yeah. You pig people got some serious <laughs> stuff going on on that. Right, but... Man, yeah. I, would, I would love just to see people's reaction if we actually DNA some of these Dorset sheep or, you know, whatever we're calling. Doctors, anymore. I mean, all of them, really, to be honest. I yeah. mean, it's just, <laughs> yeah, so. yeah, that would be awesome, actually, just to do it one show, see what people do. Uh, we, well, we Corey, I want to switch avenues. Would you like to classify the show, Corey? Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. Come up and say, I'm going to pull wool. We're going to run a DA, yeah. DNA sample. <laughs> like some people of running for the hills. Like, Peace out. Yeah. That would just be fun. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, you'd, you'd really find out who was confident about their stuff and who wasn't. Yeah, that's the, true. The line might get short awful quick. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, excuse me. I have something to tell you. We have a promo code going on right now. Fleece Performance Engineering is using promo code Stock Talk. If you can't spell it, just uh, 
exit out of, of this and then, and search us on Facebook stock talk 10% off any order online right now through fleece performance, a leader in diesel performance. Check out their complete lineup of drop-in cheated turbochargers, power flow, lift pumps, injection pumps, and more for your Cummins, Duramax, or Power Stroke. Learn more about their great products at fleeceperformance.com or visit their new facility in Pittsburgh, just west of Indianapolis on I-74. That's fleeceperformance.com, F-L-E-E-C-E, performance.com. Use promo code STOCKTALK, get 10% off. Thanks for listening. Back to the show. Uh, before we get into topics, I wanted to jump down to uh, explaining a little bit more about your role here at the Ohio FFA, uh, Tracy. I think uh, it's it's cool. I mean, you were a, a FFA teacher, an advisor, I guess is a better way to put it, but for years. And then uh, uh, tell us like your avenue from uh, teaching at high school FFA and then your current role, kind of what you do there. So I started as an ag educator um, and I was in that role for 20 years and wasn't really like looking to leave. Yeah. Um, You know, state supervisor was not on my (laughs) list of like, I want to be like, Um, but uh, you know, there's a lot of transition in the department of education and career tech uh, those, those jobs, you know, are really kind of stepping stones, uh, for a lot of young people, um, moving up through education. And so those are good things, but, uh, you know, I come along late in my career, I guess. And, um, and I think they were just, they were looking for a consultant and discussions started happening. And, um, so I came on board, um, in a unique position compared to others. I work through an educational service center, and I'm a contractor to the Department of Education, but my deliverables and work plan all come from the Department of Education. So huh. I'm a I'm a state supervisor that just works out of the Educational Service Center. Um, and so my role here is um, I supervise the Ag Production Environmental Systems Pathway, which is most of our comprehensive curriculum pathways in our high schools. And I also supervise the Animal Science Pathway. Um, then I also supervise four FFA districts in the state of Ohio, um, pretty much along the 71 line. Um, one of which is the district that I grew up in as uh, a student, which is really cool. cool. Yeah. Some of those guys are still teaching. <laughs> and then obviously the other district I supervise is my home district that I was an educator in, yeah. um, which is kind of cool because you go back there and there's just a, there's so many female ag teachers now. And when I started, I was the first female yeah. teacher yeah, in no that district. And the joke is they they call that district the Southern Ohio boys. And um, <laughs> then it was like a and yeah. So, but I mean, those guys taught me a lot and, and, uh, yeah. I'm very fortunate for the legendary teachers that existed down there when I started. So I also do a lot of the, um, curriculum alignment with our competencies to our career, career development events. And then also kind of co-supervise our awards program with the proficiencies, state degrees, and American degrees. So you have to share the information that you told me about uh, you've broke a state record. Apparently I did. I didn't know that until my supervisor had told me that, but Ohio will have 27 national proficiency finalists. Whoa. Um, at the, yeah, at the national convention. How many, profi- of- how many proficiencies are there? 
47. Okay. I didn't even think there was 27. Holy crap. Yeah, there's That's 47. So you're yeah, representing so, over half of the national finalists. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we're not going to have any friends. <laughs> That's incredible. I mean, you're just going to get sick of hearing the word Ohio um, as, they, as they introduce <laughs> those four finalists. So that's been pretty cool. Um, you know, I've always liked SAEs yeah. for students. It's an opportunity. Um, I always dreaded doing student home visits, but those home visits is how I got to meet Pistol Pete yeah. when he arrived. Yeah, tell that story. Um, so my first Going year- back to episode, what was it? Three, Corey, with Jim McCoy. Here we go. Yeah. So, like, again, I, I came into Miami Trace two and a half hours away from home. And so I didn't know anybody. I literally knew no one. So I go out. Mike McCoy, I think, was a senior. Okay. My first year teaching. And um, so I go to a home visit. Of course, Mike's not home. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, not home. So Jim's like, get in the truck. And I'm looking around like, I don't know this guy. He's telling me to get in the truck. He's like, we're going to go back this lane. I'm like, Wow. <laughs> I don't, I don't have a cell phone. I don't know if my school knows I'm here on a summer afternoon, you know, and we, I get in, go back this lane and I'm like, wow, this is really nothing back here. I'm like this little three-sided tin roof kind of a gig. And sure enough, he goes, I want to show you something. I'm like, oh, wow, Um, this could get interesting. But we go in there and here's Pistol Pete and the other board that he brought over with them. They literally were had only been there like four days. That's way cool. So I got to see the whole beginning of the Pietrin deal. Um, And that's just an amazing, (laughs) amazing thing because it's just. You never know you're going to have those kind of things in your career. Yeah, and especially like, if you jump in a truck with a stranger. <laughs> you're like, this, this may not end, end well. Surely Jim um, didn't make you feel that uncomfortable, though. No, yeah. he didn't. But, you know, thinking about that in today's society, oh, yeah. that oh, would definitely gosh. not be a young yeah. teacher. No kidding. Right? So, um, but cool story. Yeah, I mean, that's way cool. Yeah. And then you go back there now and Pistol Pete is the big, you know. Got a monument. Monument there. Yeah. And Yeah. Yeah, we talked about that in that episode. Yeah, I mean, uh, talking about like the SAEs and all that, I would have not got my state degree if you were like, just crunch numbers, sit your ass down here and let's do some work. <laughs> so going back to what we talked about earlier. Uh, but we got to see you on an SAE visit with some sheep. Yes. Yes, we did. Yeah, we can touch on that, Corey. Uh, I did uh, have my Velcro gloves on once or twice. Uh, now that's terrible. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to promote that. Come no, on, man. So we don't I, all uh, wear Velcro, gro- gro- Velcro right. gloves and muck boots out in the barn. It's two against one, Trevor. <laughs> you're, out. you're out. You're <laughs> out. Uh, so, yeah, this was like uh, sitting in the, the high school there, and uh, uh, Tracy was like, hey, uh, I need to talk to you after school. I was like, ah, oh, shit. Or after the, the the class was over, or whatever. She's like, "Hey, you interested in showing any sheep?" I was like, <laughs> uh, "No, why?" Uh, so that that was a short lived uh, discussion. So a uh, county fair happened a couple years, and I thought, you know what, I need to get multi species experience. Uh, so a couple years went by, and I you mean went back to rabbits school. and pigs. Yes, he uh, yeah. was chasing the supreme showman deal. Yeah, oh, okay. yeah, I want to. I wanted to win that deal because I, I was I was winning the, the pig showmanship, but I was like, you know, I need to get more experience. So she talked me into it. And uh, the first year, uh, obviously, I went to uh, jackpot shows and got exposed to the uh, lamb camp that she does every year. And um, 
She took more two, more metaphorical two by fours across my knees and said, you suck at showing sheep. I'm going to teach you how, although I thought I knew how. Uh, so fast forward and uh, my second year ever showing them, I don't, I can't remember if I told the story on here yet or not, but uh, second year ever showing, um, I won the sheep showmanship and then I won the uh, actual market show. So uh, my sister won this pig show that same year. So we pissed off a lot of people uh, within that same year. But uh, again, the way I will always have respect for the way sheep are shown by far more physical than any other species that's out there. I will, I will be the first to admit that. Uh, I've never sweat so much in my life. Corey, you know, I, I like sweat when I write or sweat when I think, <laughs> yeah. uh, but bracing a market lamb when your legs are shaking. Uh, yeah, I've got a whole new respect. So yeah, the reason I was even a little bit experienced again, uh, I test that to, to Tracy. So, uh, but yeah, pissed a lot of people off, but that was, that was an awesome experience. It, it was fun. And I caught a lot of flack for bringing, bringing pig kids out of the hog barn down <laughs> yeah. to the sheep yeah. barn, but yeah. you know, you gotta uh, be diverse. It's, yeah. it's just good experience. So, yeah. I mean, we did every, I'll never forget wee hours of the night cheering those things out and trying to get them right. Learned how important hydration was and really parlayed that into the pig deal. So, oh yeah, no whole new level of, uh, of respect for the sheep deal. Good stuff. Yeah. Good stuff. So what was the, yeah, we thought that one was a monkey monkey. Yeah. We think was? yeah, out of monkey, which was the hymen buck we bought at Sedalia. Yeah. That's uh, what we think. Um, which he, he brought a yearling buck and he was kind of a Suffolk looking buck. His name was, his name was Theo. That helps at all. <laughs> no, no, it doesn't Trev, but thank you. <laughs> it doesn't. But, uh, um, yeah, that was a pretty popular buck that year at Sedalia and Heinemans had used him a year. And, uh, it goes back to some torch genetics at Brian Johnson's place. And, ooh. and, uh, yeah, that was some, I mean, that's just some good stuff there. And I mean, we had like four or five phone calls before we even got home. And uh, we're like, man, what did we buy? Yeah. Like all these people were like, I can't believe you guys got that buck. And he really wasn't that expensive. And so it was, it was kind of cool, but um, he did a really good job. And, and I got, I still have lots of those females. Yeah. So. Corey, what do you say we jump into topics from a hat? You got the music. Topics from a hat. Brought to you by Fierce Threads. Duh. If you've kept up with us, you know exactly who Fierce Threads is. The only hat that we use comes from Fierce Threads. As a matter of fact, the only embroidery, screen printing, merchandise, everything, you name it, comes from Fierce Threads. This Talk Talk podcast represents Fierce Threads, your number one source for high quality screen printing and embroidery. Put your business success at the forefront and upgrade your apparel today, not a day. You can do it a day. That'll be expensive, though, with Fierce, fierce Threads. Go to fierce-threads.com. Order today. Chev, what do we got for a topic for Miss Tracy? So Tammy wants to know a couple things, and she notices that uh, kids that are involved with the FFA program excel in their social skills by far. They look people in the, the eye, and they shake their hand, and there's just a more sense of respect uh, that comes from those young people. What are your ideas or thoughts uh, that would include quote unquote non-traditional students into the curriculum that exposes all of these kids to those types of skills? 
Well, I think that's a big part on the adults that work with these kids. Mm-hmm. And I think probably in today's society, that's not something that we commonly talk about. Yeah. But in an ag program where this teacher is going to haul and pack these kids all over the place, there's going to be a sense of respect of who's in charge, um, how we greet people when we go to their farms, how we greet people that host contests and events. And so I think those kids are probably exposed to it a little more because they have an everyday connection with that teacher sitting in a classroom, whereas our counterparts and maybe 4-H and Grains do not. And so, you know, in a busy uh, activity setting of a meeting, right, the the 4-H advisor or coordinator doesn't always have that opportunity, you know, to discuss those things at length or expose those kids to those kind of opportunities. And so I think it just becomes an adult responsibility of everybody who's working with those, these kids at all levels to expose them um, to those things. And, you know, the controversial thing right now about handshake is shaking the judge's hand. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. I've never understood that. And maybe it's not like there's not a handshake class. There's not a class of how to shake hands, but Hey, Mr. So-and-so miss so-and-so always shakes hands when we go visit. That's what I'm going to do. You know, they see it. That's what they do. Um, But to touch on that subject, I, First and foremost, in the pig deal, if you shake my hand before the show even starts, like, uh, you know, let's talk afterwards. But if a kid comes and shakes my hand and says, hey, thanks for coming, there is, there's no, I don't see any problem with it. Right. I don't, I don't, I try to stay pretty much low key. Yeah. Like, I don't want to talk to anybody before I judge. Right. Head like, down and just get there. Yeah. Just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sunglasses on. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, but that is something that, that I've noticed too. I mean, the kids who are exposed to, I mean, 4-H and FFA both, but they're, they have a, they're responsible for a live animal or they're going to these shows and they see the respect that people have for each other and they just naturally have that respect. Whereas uh, maybe the inner city kids who don't have that exposure, they don't have that respect. You know, like you said, the, the advisors that take them kids everywhere. I respected you when you <laughs> shoved us in a van and said, hey, we're going to go judge some cattle or whatever it was. So uh, one thing leads to the next, I think. Right. Well, I guess right. my challenge, my challenge to those listening that maybe have an issue with, you know, uh, the respect level of kids that aren't involved in the livestock industry is go mentor. Like if you could change the life of one kid to make them a better human being by getting them involved, go do it. Yeah. Yep. Don't complain about it. Yep. Don't complain about it. You have an opportunity to to show up and do something for somebody. Yeah, because the one time we say get the darn trailer out of the barn or the stroller out of the barn or whatever, and and those kids or those families who have no idea, they're gonna be like, okay, those guys are assholes, and they'll just move on. But if you say, hey, you know, let's let's step outside the barn and talk about, I love if you want to pet my sheep or whatever, that's probably impacting that kid's life. Yeah, sometimes it takes me ten minutes to get from point A to point B. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah. You know, you got a cute one that all the little kids are reaching to touch, and so. But they never see it. You no, know? they don't. No, they don't. So, huh? That's an interesting topic. But uh, folks, we're going to need more of them, as you know. Uh, Temple Grandin is coming the beginning part of October uh, to get an interview. So, with that being said, we want to know what you would want to ask her. And also, we're going to have obviously more guests. Before then, we're going to need more topics. We have a couple today, Corey. I don't know if you've seen our mail, uh, yeah. but we got a couple. We got a couple good topics. We need more. Uh, so don't be afraid to shoot us an email or send us a message on Facebook, Stock Talk Podcast. Get them things sent in. Thank you. Um, so Tracy, 
we we talked about uh, beforehand a little bit of this this dwarf gene, and we had a chance to catch up and meet each other for the first time at Sedalia um, this year, where you and some other um, panelists, I should say, um, were involved in kind of a selection and and thought process of of how to just manage and utilize uh, this this dwarf gene. Um, and we're going to have some other folks come on, but you know, your take on it, I think is as interesting as anybody, um, just because, you know, the size of flock that you work with, you're still seeing this gene, um, you know, prevalent in your own operation. So, um, maybe expand on a little bit of what we talked about earlier, um, and hopefully bring some, some real world perspective, uh, to some other folks out there that maybe aren't as concerned with it as they should be. Well, I think what Clay tried to do is just really kind of create an open door conversation about what, what we're seeing. And I think for the last few years, maybe that was just a taboo subject and nobody really wanted to talk about it because nobody wants to admit you have a problem, right? So the first, the first thing you do when you have a problem is be able to admit you have a problem. Hi, my name is Trevor and I have a problem. <laughs> exactly. So I think, you know, those things present itself in the livestock industry because you have such a strong customer base with different people. And obviously, genetically, what we're doing with the gene pool on, you know, artificial insemination and embryo transfer, that probably is just going to create a fire water yeah. for that thing to really just generate faster than what maybe we were, we were prepared for. Uh compared to where we've already been with the spider gene and the scrapie, which, you know, is a, is a, a factor of dominant recessive trait. And I think once we learned about those and learned how to management, uh, manage it, we virtually don't see much of that anymore at all. Right. Um, and so again, you, you push a panic button, uh, with this kind of topic, but, um, I think, you know, like Corey said, I, I only have a small group of ewes and I, I, I see it. But again, I, I have, you know, some of the, the popular genetics just like everybody else does through, you know, ram selection and, and artificial insemination as well. And, um, you know, I don't think you want to panic, but you just got to be smart about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, as a small breeder, I can't sell those kind of sheep. I need repeat customers. I don't have large volumes knocking on the door um, to to seek those pieces, you know, for 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 kids that are showing livestock. And so, you know, I I probably don't try to market any of those, you know, or mm-hmm. don't allow kids to take any of those because I know, you know, what's going to happen um, down the road in terms of poor performance and growth, and they're not where they're supposed to be. Come you know, two days before the county fair or why are they 90 pounds? <laughs> <laughs> why are they 90 pounds? Um, and so consequently, you know, I think there's been positive and negative use, you know, of those genetics uh, and those offspring in the industry, which is maybe some people probably got burnt by that. Mm-hmm. Others probably, you know, um, had a little bit more of a, of, of a positive return on dollars generated. And so, it's just a different aspect of it, but I think uh, in this industry, I think it's um, integrity goes a long way, and it's just about being, you know, a good customer 
and uh, being, you know, a good vendor yeah. right. um, of those things. And, and to, in the end, when you're raising club stock at the end, it's really about all the kids, Yeah, you know, and should be. it should be. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but I thought, I thought that the way he did that and he, he assigned uh, an individual to each one of us on the panel and, you know, he drove them out and we didn't know what they were genetically when he assigned them to us. And he basically wanted us to talk about them phenotypically and maybe, you know, how you would line them up with a ram potentially just based on phenotype and describing what they, what kind of a sheep they were. Um, And then he revealed the genetics on those sheep. And then you could, you know, go back and, you know, make a management decision and a breeding decision based on what you knew about the genotype of that particular sheep. So what were some of the results as far as ones that you may have suspected that, that it would be in there that weren't, or how did that shake out? So it was a little bit of everything, you know, there was some really big, nice sheep that you're like, no way she is. Mm -hmm, Right. Right. And then you saw the cute Smurfy one that was like, ding, ding, ding. Yeah. Right. Um, And then there was some middle of the road sheep that were, built a little bit different, uh-huh. um, but not like jammed up spine short to the ground. They were longer spined, maybe taller, narrower sheep. Okay. That was a carrier, huh. you know? So those things are interesting right. because again, they don't walk around with the genetic code on the outside. Yeah. You're just trying to really evaluate phenotypically and maybe some history of what they've done in your program of how you would adjust rams. But with the genetic piece of it, you can maybe make a better educated alignment of how you want to use those genetics in your program. And, you know, Dr. Fitch at Oklahoma state, um, you know, he's, he's saying that you don't just throw them away. Um, but I guess it's every person's decision, what they want to do with them and how they want to utilize them in their program. Um, to move forward. And it kind of circles around to the Jim McCoy topic with the stress gene. I mean, if dominant you, recessive. Yeah, it's all in there. It's there's carriers, there's negatives, there's positives. I mean, that's just science. Yep. And it, if you want to use that in your program and you think it's risky, then don't do it. If you think it's a benefit, then breed them how you want them. But you got to be honest with people either way. Right. And I think one of the things that a lot of people have a conversation with is they think that the dwarf gene contributes to added muscle. And that sheep that I described, she was just an, just a sheep. Mm-hmm. She wasn't, you know what I mean? She yeah. was taller, longer, narrower. Um, and uh, not one that you would really think would be a carrier. Right. So that philosophy immediately was squashed mm-hmm. because you're like, oh, the dwarf gene gives muscle. Well, it's just like some of the old Suffolk breeders will tell you the carrier of the spider gene, if they were a carrier, they made great ones. Yeah. Because it was just on the cusp of having just enough, right? Right. And so, like, I don't know and understand, <clears throat> like, you know, how those genes break down to give a little bit of an advantage of something. Right. Right. Um, versus the full blown blow up stress or, right, right, right. you know, twisted up legs, spider, you know, those kind of things. But everybody theorizes about that. Um, and I'm sure it's just like, you know, how did we get the dwarf gene in her for cattle? Right. Yeah. It, you keep pushing the envelope and keep pushing the envelope until, until you have many herpes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Until the mutation occurs. Now we have a show. <laughs> so, I mean, it's it's just one of those things that obviously industry goes through as they transition. 
you know, yeah. from the different kind of sheep uh, moving forward, trying to make yeah. them better. And you have hiccups along the way and you modify and you yeah. go. Yeah. So. No, that's, that's great stuff. I, I often talk about this with several other people, you know, I, I think the introduction of the gene maybe scared folks a little bit. Um, you know, what is it? People started freaking out. Do I have it? How big of a deal is it? But it really just, you know, from everything that people have learned over the course of the last year or so, you know, it's just really all management practice and that's all it is. You know, the thing is that, that I think we've got to be better at though. And we talked about this, Tracy is, you know, not use using it in a positive way and, and not in a negative way. And because at some point in time, are we going to get tired of looking at old, you know, 12 to 14 month old sheep showing at their peak because they couldn't grow and get big enough. Right. Right. And I, and I think what, what becomes of bigger value of this picture is there's so many bucks that are available through semen purchase. Right. And as a small breeder, I need to know if that buck is a carrier. Right. Because I got a group of ewes that I know are carriers. Yeah. And for me, if I get that combination, right, of the of the recessive, those are throwaways for me. Uh-huh. And in my small little operation, I really can't afford those. So I need for breeders to identify, you know, which bucks aren't. And some of them aren't ready to come clean <laughs> with that yet. <laughs> and and I think that's unfortunate because, you know, um, the opportunity to sell semen to some of those guys, maybe it isn't a big deal just because they've got so much of a customer base and are selling large volumes of semen. But to me, who can't afford a $75,000, $100,000 ram and want to buy $300 semen and five yeah. straws, to make my program better for what I do, you know, I would certainly like to have the opportunity to buy those bucks if the genetic coding is available for me to know so I can manage my own system. Right. Is that a safety net? Yep. Yeah. Know. It's just like buying semen on the hogs. You want to know if you're yeah. breeding them to a stress carrier or not. Absolutely. Yeah. So. Hmm. That's interesting. But. Well, Corey, um, I don't know about you, but we could just dive right in to uh, the next segment. Oh, we sure could. Social smash. That's not gonna. That's not gonna ever get old. Social no. smash. Brought to you by Brad Halford. If you ever get in a fender bender, maybe happen to smash your vehicle up, why don't you just go ahead and visit Brad Halford in Kokomo, Indiana? It's time to upgrade to a new truck to cruise into that next show, looking sharp, folks. It doesn't matter where you live in the country. Give Brad Halford a good call. They have award-winning customer service that will lead you in the right direction to get that next vehicle bought the right way. doesn't matter if it's a truck, a car. I'm sure they can find you a moped if you want one. That's right. Uh, Corey, I've come to to just admit that you're way better at ad reads than I am because uh, me and words don't get along. <laughs> so, <laughs> Did you ever get the reason? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's all in my head. And what I write down is all spelled wrong and everything. So. Yeah, you do a good job, bud. Thanks, man. That's what I'm here. <laughs> uh, well, uh, so if if you don't know, Social Smash is where we like to spill out our pet peeves within the industry. Um, I don't know how much of a social media 
person you are, but that's kind of where this social smash came from. So it can be pet peeves within the industry or social media pet peeves. I got a laundry list. Okay. You're right about having to explain <clears throat> some of it to me. Okay. But my uh, lamb camp stuff has got me on Snapchat now. Okay. So that's fun. <laughs> um, but I'm on Facebook, obviously, with a lot of different things. So I, to start with the laundry list, this is number one social media, bathroom selfies. Oh. Does that. Did, like, honestly, I didn't think, even know those still existed. Oh, <laughs> my gosh. They still show up probably on some Snapchat things. I'm like, really? Just. My Push favorite. the button to turn your phone around. Like my, they're taking it in the mirror. Yeah. And then you see in the background somebody in the bathroom. Like, what? <laughs> this is a dirty place. It's so disgusting. I'm like, I'm really glad that you think so much of yourself that you have to take a picture yeah. of yourself in the bathroom. So, oh, yeah. yeah, that's huge. <laughs> Number two, hand on the hip. Okay. Oh, it's like, it's like some sort of modeling status. Like they all like put their hand on their hip. <laughs> Nah, you don't need to. <laughs> you don't stand like that having a conversation with people, but you know that the picture is going to social media. I got to put my hand on my head. There you go. You know? What about the, so, like the tongue out then? Peace sign. Oh, yeah. Duck lips, maybe. Uh, That one's kind of has faded away a little bit. Yeah, it has. Yeah, that one. But that one, when it first came out, too, I'm like, seriously? <laughs> <laughs> but to be honest with you, these kids who take a lot of these selfies, you can put them on a phone to take your sheet pictures they get the angles that's man. true they that know true. the angles of what that does it's amazing hey, can you grab that you and put her leg up on her hip please <laughs> <laughs> i think it looks better <laughs> they understand the tilt of that phone and what it does yeah. to the lines of yeah. the sheep on the on the pic so it's you know they, they can take those pictures way quicker than i can that's with true. a whole lot less frustration that's true um the third one probably is just bad backdrop pictures yeah like, this is my advertising and this is what I got. Plus, like, I get a lot of lamb camp pictures. Uh, oh, yeah. A diverse range. Oh. <laughs> and so we have those conversations. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, you know what we should do? We should, at some of these lamb camps, people should talk about taking a quality backdrop picture to send to the breeders. Like, is if we it, do. Oh, do you really? See, I think this needs to be worldwide. So. That people, you know, if there's nobody there to take like professional backdrop pictures, like, and mom and dad have to get down and take them or whatever that like, we need to teach, we need to teach the parents on how to get us a good back, backdrop picture. I get them with legs cut off of the sheet. Oh yeah. Kids heads cut off. Um, well, they got to make sure. Not Jimmy in or- show clothes. They're like, forgot. Yeah. <laughs> they yeah. go back and they're in shorts and a tank yeah, top. Like, oh, hey, you won. Oh. Can I get a picture? Oh, sorry. We put them up yeah. already. I'm like. I don't understand how people go and win and don't want to take pictures. I do think like they focus so much on getting everybody smiling and looking at the camera. I more of the time than not, I cut the heads off of the showman because I'm so focused on the livestock <laughs> right. bigger, bigger, you know, doing the Steve babes, obviously uh, the pig deal, but uh, <laughs> I, somebody just sent me a, a picture of, of another one. I mean, hogs are different. I get that, but. You're so right, man. That's your advertising. You got to get it right or they right. don't look exactly. Right. Like, that's what one right. really? Right. Don't make me look stupid I'm, if I judged it. I'm running a lamb camp. Yeah. That's what I told you. Right. I right. don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> like, so, yeah, the the quality of the backdrop picture is uh definitely unimportant. Tracy, I like Tracy, that. you got to tell us about your lamb camp. I've heard you talk about it a couple times. Um, it's just a kind of a side gig that when I'm not in trouble and off the street that I like to find <laughs> something else to do. Um, 
I've been involved with it for a long time. And I guess it's kind of my classroom outside of the classroom. And uh, I just kind of started with people I meet across the country, you know, getting started. And now I got my own LLC, which is even more crazy because my accountant is a former student. My attorney is a former student. That's awesome. You're surrounding um, yourself. I'm surrounding myself. Your podcast guys. Will I know my <laughs> podcast guys. Like, I mean, that's probably one of the most rewarding things about that. But um, so I do lamb camps all over the country and oh, so in you Ohio. Have to, you have to set the scene. I know this is bad radio. Uh-oh. Uh, but remember when we did it up in your hayloft? Oh, my gosh. I, I told that up story in the your other hayloft? day. You mean like you had to um, climb a ladder to get there? Oh, I have a, I'm a very, <laughs> I have a cool barn. No, it has steps oh, up. Yeah, it's it's a very cool. cool barn. You can put 3,000 bales of straw up there. Nice. And you, has, you can put full core basketball. Yeah. And you've floor. got a catwalk that you just kind of launch stuff down. Yeah. And then there's a catwalk off the back half of this that's covered so you could go out on it. Yeah. So I had the livestock team boys that year. Yeah. Help me move lambs to the top. <laughs> Floor <laughs> of the sheep uh, We were dragging sheep. They were carrying them. Yeah. Like, and I was like, I was dragging on, them. I was on. only. Yeah. yeah. And you know how much Trevor sweats. Yeah. And um, his back sweat. Yeah. I, it, was, it was just kind of like a confined place that I knew they weren't going to go anywhere. They yeah. Got, the sheep got loose. Um, that was a one time deal. Yeah. <laughs> oh but there's God. probably some kids out there that remember that for oh, sure. I'd never forget it. Was this like was this <laughs> no. a summer was this a summer thing? So I'm sure it was hot up there too. That one would have been May. Yeah. Early it's, May. It was still I mean, heck, I saw it was warm enough. Yeah. Mm. I was I was it was warm enough. Yeah. So but them boys carried sheep <laughs> up that deal, probably at least fifteen uh, to twenty of them. Yeah. Up oh, those steps. Yeah, no, like, that we had no idea what was going on. She said, hey, we need to practice for, I mean, I was on the state F- FFA team. And she's like, we need to come over and practice on some sheep. Little do we know we had to drag 20 freaking lambs up the steps. <laughs> Before we start. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, yeah. that would be the great thing. So I've got several friends that are ag teachers. And, you know, I like, I give them a hard time. I'm like, oh, you guys have your summers off. And they're like, no, we got to do this, 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 and this all the time. I'm like. You guys choose to do that, and you also have the opportunity to call up free labor. So, yeah, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna lie on you that. Exclu- you exploit I lost your help. Your lost good help. Oh, yeah, if you're struggling an egg. I can help you with that. <laughs> <laughs> I need you to do chores this weekend. Yeah. Oh yeah. We'll take that and trade. Um, but you know what? Even doing that, that was good experience for kids who didn't have the opportunity. Right be around livestock to actually get some exposure. So I, I kind of found it as a win-win really. And for some of those kids, it kind of maybe helped them turn the corner that there was a person that, you know, they could go to and, and kind of, you know, wow, nobody ever invited me to your, to a farm or whatever. And then you got multiple kids out there and there's new friendships and maybe just enough of a motivation for a kid to turn the corner to mm-hmm. look up and say, you know what, I, I can kind of do better. Right. And so those were always good things. We used to have pitchfork parties. Oh, yeah. <laughs> pitchfork party. That's where I learned how to tie a knot, to be honest with you. Tie? Like yeah. a, a real knot, just like a, I've got to cut that rope. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. All right, uh, Corey, I'll go ahead and ask uh, the last question since I made you do both ad That's reads. Uh, so last question we ask every single guest we have is where do you see the show stock industry in five years? That's a tough one. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure most of your guests will say that. Yep. Um, I think 
we're at a turning point. This deal's getting crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, just like everything does. Yeah. You know, I'm sure when, when um, you know, AAU sports started, right. they didn't think it was going to get to where it did. Yeah. Right. And that's big business now. Huge. Yeah. Huge, huge stakes. Um, this deal has kind of gotten like that. I mean, whoever thought we would be selling $100,000 Rams, right. you know, $300 straws of semen, $500 straws of semen. Yeah. Um, and it gets like that in any industry. It doesn't matter if it's tractor pulling, horse racing, whatever, you know, toy, tr- toy collectible tractors, yeah. um, yeah. those kind of things. You're always going to have your extremes. And I think as we think about that, we have to think about why we do this. And the reason we do this is kids mm-hmm. and, and everybody can say that, that, you know, I mentor a kid, but do you mentor a kid when you're done mentoring that kid or working that kid through their show career? Can they do everything you can do mm. or that you taught them to do? Because a lot of people I bet say no. It's <laughs> a good point. Real good point. Because we, if you think about what the trend is in school, We've enabled kids, right? Discipline. There's no there's no teeth mm-hmm. in some of those systems anymore because we're so scared of failure, lawsuits, whatever, right? And we've forgotten how to teach these kids to be gritty. Yeah. To get up and go. Like, yeah. so what? You fall down. Get up. Let's go. Yeah. So what? You don't know how to shear sheep get after it yeah how do you think i learned right you know what i mean <laughs> if i tell you what my old trimming stand was my dad built me a platform two by sixes with a post on it and a u-shape with a volkswagen rabbit seat belt neck piece <laughs> that's where i started from you know but at that the same time like it's crazy like i i mean that's do you still have it that was my trimming stand. it's not portable oh <laughs> that thing was not portable <laughs> like platform in front of the barn that's where it was you know but like my dad didn't know how to do it i guess so like that's how i learned Uh you know and i don't think we allow those kids to learn because we're so driven towards winning Winning. yeah that has to be perfect yeah and so you know like i just think we forget about those things that we want these kids to be able to problem solve think yeah critically analyze and do yeah. Um, and so when we maybe enable them to just sit in their chair and take the halter, are they really learning the craft? Right. Because that's the generation, guys, that have to replace us. Mm-hmm. And it's scary if we're not giving them the tools of doing it because we're still kind of living out our glory days yeah. of like, oh, right? that's the, that's, <laughs> it's tough. And Big and most of those older kids realize that it's over mm-hmm. just when they're at the pinnacle of I just figured it out. Yeah. Yeah. And we pull your we pull your back number, you yeah. know, you're aged out. Yep. And so I think it's difficult to think about that. I think the stock is obviously getting better. I think we've got science is on our side huge mm-hmm. of making them better. Uh, management systems are allowing it to be more efficient mm-hmm. and better. Um, and so, again, though, I think we we have to think about educating the next generation to be able to do what needs to be required to do the work 
in the industry and not just travel around, buying them up and selling them. Yeah. Uh, physically doing the work, and understanding the production side of a dying industry. Yeah. Failing is actually very healthy. It is, but none of us like to do it. None of us. <laughs> no. Falling flat on your face sucks. But right. That you'll always learn. Like Blaine Arthur, we interviewed her and she had the same, she called them helicopter moms that kind of like manage every little part of their little Johnny's life. And then they age out and they're like, what the hell did I just learn? So that she even said, you know, I let my kids try to clip the steers. And if it burrs into their skin, hey, he did it. He's going to learn. Right. Uh, and that that was, I mean, you guys are on the exact same page there. You got to let them fail. And if you go, I, I told the story about when I clipped the guilt down to a quarter inch. It was, they were naked, but I'll never do it again. Right. And that's the worst thing is we learn from the mistakes, right? We feel awful when yeah. we learn from the mistakes because it's the worst feeling in the world. But to be honest with you, you wouldn't know, you wouldn't know otherwise unless you failed. Yeah. Right. And so consequently, it's the way that life goes. And a lot of times I think we just, we don't allow these kids to experience that organically. And so it's tough. Yeah. It's tough. And I think that's going to be the hard question for people enrolled in the business mm -hmm. that are that are working with kids because that's the kind of industry we work with that we we got to educate them to replace us. Yep. Ah, that's good points. You got anything to add, Corey? No, other than the fact that this was one of my favorite interviews to date. Oh, Corey, just <laughs> no, it's not. It was, it's I'm been only saying that because I wanted to remember. Um, yeah, that was a that's a good one. <laughs> that is a good one. So, uh, yeah, good stuff. I yeah. certainly appreciate the opportunity. Guys. No, you thanks for taking time out of your evening. I uh hate that you had to come clear up if you weren't already. Ah, but, it's all good. So, uh, thanks for letting us use the office here, and uh, oh, it's always fun. I've I had a lot of fun. Uh, absolutely. Hey. I you. Tracy, uh, yeah, th thank you uh, for letting Trevor come hang out with you because uh, I don't know that we, you know, you think about times when we have these interviews that aren't in person. You know, I felt like we kind of alleviated a little bit. Right? We alleviated a little bit of nervousness having Trevor there with you. I'm glad. Yeah. Well, and you can you can always read. It, what's where the conversation's going in person. So uh, those listening, I would say 89% of our interviews are not in person. Actually, yeah. none of us are in the same room. Right. So when, like uh, last week's and obviously this week's, we at least have the guests in, in a room together. So it worked out pretty well. Although I think the cleaning ladies vacuumed behind. And last week we had, uh, it was in a hotel lobby, a little loud, oh, little loud. it's all right. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I appreciate the opportunity. And I, I can't tell you that just seeing kids doing, doing great things after they leave your program. And some of them, you wonder where they're going to end up, but it's amazing that when you see them and you run into them, they really do good, good things. And my students will always be my kids. Yeah. And, uh, it's just been a really good run in the 20 years I had in the classroom because, my kids are my kids and they're all doing good things. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. I, any, I always, always remember. Got any questions we should ask Temple? Ooh. Um, I can need to think about okay. that because when you guys were talking about that in your start in deal, I thought it was kind of cool, but like, cause everybody's going to ask you about the stuff that, that you read in books. Right. But you know, like for me is like, obviously 
she's she's autistic and it, i think she's is it asperger's I th- yes I does anybody yep, know like high high level right. high functioning yeah. right so it's like i mean what was the what was the turning point of when she knew she had to adapt yeah because those people don't like doing any of this public stuff right zero oh, she does it daily, so right? she does, she it, does lot, it daily yeah. right so like How she's a at, professor Right. At what point were you able to literally shed skin yeah. to become another being in an atmosphere that is 100% uncomfortable? Yeah. Oh, that's like, actually a good point. Because they would rather choose to be isolated mm-hmm. and creative-minded. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I talked to her on the phone for 20 minutes. Best 20, com- 20 minute conversation I've ever had. Like, talked about the correlation between show animals and the way that they're not right now and they're bred different. I mean, she's very commercially oriented, but right. it was like, can't wait for people to hear what we're going to talk about because I think it's needed. Like, yeah. People need to hear it. Well, I, and I think some of these in this industry is very easy just to think about them as a kind of a show pony mm-hmm. without a end product in mind. And the first thing she always says, it's about the kids. And I love when kids go into youth organizations, you know, yep. Yep. she'll be but, the first to tell you. Yeah. And so, you know, some of these kids have these things 14 months yeah. in some parts of the right. state, 15 months yeah. in some Whoops. parts of the country, whatever. Um, but, you know, you forget about that. That's an end product and you forget about just the physiology of the animal getting to that point. Yeah. Um, and all the things we do to them to make them great in terms of exercise and different things yeah. that anatomically, quote, unquote, fresh. right. Yeah. Anatomically, you know, jack some things up. Yeah. Um, there's some bad experiences in these sheep or any animal that remember, right. And they correlate a person associated to the behavior. And then I get calls, you know, like, Hey, I got a wacky one, yeah. you know? And so you try to process through it and try to do different things to get them walking, leading, bracing, stopping, you know, in control because there's just a bad memory mm-hmm. in there sometimes yep. that just is associated and it's, it's a disaster for those kids to try to get any of those right. animals drove. So she, yeah, she's going to be amazing. I think to, yeah. to talk to on an extended time period. Yeah. So, well, all we right. Well, yeah. Ultra excited. Corey, if you don't have anything else, I will uh, send it home. Do what you do. Well, guys, this has been ultra fun. I am uh, extra, extra glad that I got to interview uh, my past teacher and now really good friend in person. So, Tracy, thanks again. And you guys are going to enjoy this one a bunch. Can't wait to get it posted. This has been another edition of Stock Talk. I got to go.